This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and thanks for joining me at Self Work today. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been practicing for over 25 years. And a couple of years ago, I started to podcast because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those who might already be interested in psychological or emotional issues, maybe even already in therapy, or to those who may have just recently been diagnosed with depression or anxiety, or maybe are having some kind of relationship issues that they can't seem to resolve. And then there's that third group, that group that might listen to a podcast about therapy or what you might learn in therapy, but wouldn't darken the door of a therapist, at least not yet. One of the things that I so appreciate about some of you who have written me, you've told me that self-work has actually motivated you to seek therapy on your own, and that is fantastic. Another reason why I started all of this was because I'm really very tired of the prejudice against mental illness and mental illness treatment, so I wanted to do my part to change that prejudice. Today's podcast topic was actually suggested to me by one of you, by a listener, and we're going to be talking about the effects of childhood neglect. I'll specifically reference some comments that I found on The Mighty when they asked their followers to talk about what emotional neglect had created in them. Just FYI, The Mighty is a website dedicated to telling the real stories of what it's like to have medical or mental illnesses, so if you're interested, you ought to go over there. It's www.themighty.com. And for mental health, their Facebook page is called Mental Health on The Mighty. I actually do a, a monthly Facebook Live for them on every third Wednesday. I love it. People ask great questions, and I learn, and hopefully they learn. But you know, over the years, I've seen many people who don't have memories of harsh punishment or overt criticism or sexual abuse. Their memories are actually fairly vague about what their relationships were like with their parents because those parents weren't around. What they do remember is feeling empty, lonely, on their own, and a gnawing insecurity that only grew with time. We'll talk about what effects this kind of neglect causes, and of course, what I always like to talk about, what can you do about it? Now, neglect is tough, because in many ways, it doesn't have the shape or the definition of abuse. It doesn't have a beginning, a middle, or an end. It simply was there, and it wasn't defined as neglect until likely you were an adult. The listener email for today is from a person whose outer life appears strong and competent, but as he puts, right now it feels as if he's watching leaves fall off a healthy tree and feels helpless to do anything about it. So sit back and relax. I know this is a tough subject. Be careful if you get triggered. So listen with caution. We're going to be talking about childhood neglect. How do you define childhood neglect? It's actually the most common form of abuse at the whopping figure of 60%, meaning 60% of abuse is in the form of neglect, and it's the most lethal. So let's define it. 
Child neglect is the failure to provide for the shelter, safety, supervision, and nutritional needs of a child. So there are four kinds. Let's talk about them. Physical neglect means you refuse or delay health care. You abandon your child. You throw them out of your home or refuse to allow a runaway to return home. Or you don't supervise your kids. Educational neglect includes not making your kid go to school or knowing they're skipping and it's okay with you. You don't enroll them in school or you don't attend to a special educational need. Medical neglect is when a child isn't given proper medical treatment and there are obvious controversies about vaccinations and that sort of thing. But maybe even they break their arm or their leg and you don't take them to the emergency room. And then there's the fourth, which is emotional neglect. You don't pay attention to the child's needs for affection or you fail to provide needed psychological care, you abuse your spouse in the child's presence, or you smoke weed with your kid, or you drink with your kid. The most severe of neglect cases involve what's called failure to thrive. Children are diagnosed with failure to thrive when their weight or rate of weight gain is significantly below that of other children of similar age and sex. Infants or children that fail to thrive seem to be dramatically smaller or shorter than other children the same age. If they're teenagers, they may have shorter stature or appear to lack the usual changes that can occur at puberty. There's a huge variation, obviously, so you need a medical doctor to actually diagnose this. But there can be psychological failure to thrive. Basically, when a child who's emotionally abandoned and they have great difficulty with attachment to others... Now, again, here the most severe diagnosis of this type is what's called reactive attachment disorder, and we're not going to go into that too much. Basically, a child seems incapable of connecting emotionally with other people. They look sad and listless. They don't seek comfort. But again, attachment disorder is for another day. It is interwoven with neglect, but let's just stick to neglect today. It's already a huge topic in and of itself. When I've heard about neglect from my own patients, they've said things like, It seems like it would have been easier if I'd been hit. I didn't know what to make of nothing. My parents were so into each other, it was as if we didn't exist. After the divorce, my mom would just leave and not come back for days. Maybe there would be food in the house, maybe not. Neighbors who knew about it would bring food sometimes. Our dad did nothing. And then the last one. When my mom had to go to a psychiatric hospital, I was left to care for my younger brother for a couple of months. No explanation, no time frame when mom would come home. I was just in charge, and I was nine. You can hear emptiness and confusion that neglect can create. These children don't know any other reality, although as they get older, they may see how other parents treat their own children and begin to figure it out. But recently, the Mighty, I was talking about that in the intro, the Mighty asked his followers to talk about how their neglect affected them. And by the way, that link will be in the show notes. I looked through their answers and came up with some ideas that I hope will be helpful to hear. First, there are distinct problems with trust. Think about it. Where do you learn to trust? You reach out to your dad to hold you, and he does. You cry, and your mom wipes away your tears. That doesn't happen with neglect. So you get the message you're not worth it, you're not valuable. So you're going to have problems with trust. So if someone does try to care for you, you might question their intent. You could startle easily, and you don't trust others' motives. Then if you do risk and trust, and the other person disappoints you, you can quickly overreact 
and feel completely abandoned once again. If you remember, and if you do remember, you've been around a long time. Episode 12 is where we talked about over and under reactions, where you're being an emotional grown-up is what I called it. So someone with problems with trust would say something like, when someone's legitimately nice to me, I'm terrified of what they might actually be planning to do to me. Or they might say, I'm very uneasy if I feel I have to depend on anyone for anything. But I feel like if I ever ask anyone a favor and they forget, it just revalidates that I'm easily forgotten and unimportant. So first, there's problems with trust. Then there could be neediness. You might also be highly needy and cling to someone you love. One of my own patients said, I still can't have my wife be away from me when we're in the store. I can't find her, and I panic. One of the mighty participants said, needing constant reassurance that my husband really loves me as much as he says he does. And I obsess over my birthday, which was always ignored by my parents while my brothers had awesome parties. So obviously she was neglected, where perhaps her brothers were not. So you can be very needy due to neglect. The third factor is you may isolate yourself and have no true sense of self-esteem. It would seem that you might want to collect friends or people to love quickly to somehow make up for the neglect that you suffered. But remember, you tried to connect as a child, all children do, and you were rejected over and over. So fear can overwhelm you. Again, one of the mighty participants said, I prefer to be alone now because I don't know how to emotionally handle having people wanting to be around me. It sucks because mid-hangout, I want to go home or want them to go home because I'm so drained and don't know how to stay social. And then someone else said, I think it's normal to be treated like I don't matter at all. You could tell me I have lots of friends and they could tell me they love me all the time, but I know they don't really mean it. So there's no sense of true self-worth because you didn't get that from your parents. Think about what a good parent does if the child picks up a red crayon and starts coloring with a red crayon, says, wow, it looks like you really like to color with red. They notice, they attend, the parent gives feedback to the child about what they see. And then after he or she is finished with the red, he shows the paper to his mom or his dad and says, you see, do you like it? And the parent goes, of course I like it. Let's put it on the refrigerator. There's a sense of importance that's given to the child in those small, very validating moments. A fourth result of emotional childhood neglect is that you can be seen as sensitive. Maybe you have actual medical problems due to the neglect. This could also involve significant insecurity and fears about getting hurt. Maybe you have migraines or stomach problems, and they're very common for those who've been neglected. Bessel van der Kolk talks about how your body remembers the abuse or neglect and will play your issues out in his wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score. You perhaps were even ridiculed as a child when you actually said you were hungry or could you go with your mom when she went to do her errands. You would say, oh, you're such a sensitive kid. You're so whiny. So who knows what came your way when you allowed your need to show. One of the mighty participants writes, What's hard is being called sensitive because they often see me crying about things that aren't such a big deal. Little did they know I was dealing with bigger things that I never talked about because I felt like my reasons wouldn't be validated. And she was right. They wouldn't be. 
not by her parents. Then the last one I'm going to talk about is that gnawing sense of emptiness and the fact that you live in fear. What do I mean by emptiness? Emptiness feels like nothing matters. You don't feel connected to others. You can even reject or highly dislike being touched physically by others. You can actually fear true connection as if it would overwhelm you if it actually happened. You will meet someone and already know that they'll leave you or dislike you. So, of course, that affects your actions. You're likely to hide or dread being with others. And you can still be governed by the fear of not having enough food or money or water. So you can hoard or overbuy or overspend. Or you can watch your pennies like a hawk. One of the mighty participants again, for the last time, says, I hoard food from watching my mother be depressed and do no food shopping. We had to fend for ourselves at a young age, and there wasn't enough to go around. So now, as adults, myself and my sister shop and overbuy. We've talked in so many podcasts about how the lessons you've learned about your own value, about your own worth, affect your present-day functioning. And this is a case where you can see the connection so readily. So, as many of you regular listeners know, I like to talk about what you can do about it, right? Perhaps you can immediately see how therapy itself could be helpful to someone who's been neglected. Because in the relationship, they would have to learn to trust, to connect, to reach out, to be vulnerable. Actually, they wouldn't have to be, but the therapist would be guiding them in order to do that. And all those things would be extremely hard for them. But with a therapist, it could be safer because they would understand that difficulty. Janice Webb wrote an article, however, that also points out that those with childhood emotional neglect also have significant strengths. Many are independent. They're able to be very empathic with others or flexible and very giving. So therapeutic work would focus on their vulnerabilities, on learning to ask for help, of being able to soothe disappointment, of looking behaviors such as hoarding or overbuying, overspending, that are direct links to your past and guide you to begin to assert more control over those. It would be likely that you would discover the emotions underneath those behaviors if you stopped them. I had a patient who definitely had social anxiety disorder. In fact, she had several different anxiety disorders. And she would daily order things online and would constantly open those packages, never buy anything, and send them all back. It was through those actions that she found some sense of control. It's almost as if that ritual made her feel safe. As our work continued, she realized she had strengths now, and she could express her anger at the neglect she suffered. And as she did so, all the buying behaviors stopped. There's a wonderful new book by a woman named Tara Westover. The book is called Educated. I'm reading it now. I'm about two-thirds of the way through. It's an incredible autobiography on how she was educationally and medically neglected, as well as abused in her home by a mentally explosive and violent brother. In the book, she takes the last steps toward ending the relationships with her family, especially her parents who held extremely fanatical religious views that had kept her an uneducated slave in her own home and had literally almost killed not only her spirit, but herself. Her father regularly endangered them medically. Her mother was a homeopath and didn't believe in any kinds of medications, even when there were severe accidents on their farm 
she would do the best she could with more natural things. I'm not knocking homeopathy. Please don't get me wrong here. But these were very serious injuries, such as significant burns and broken bones. But there's a place in the book right before she goes into the last section. And what she says is, not knowing for certain, but refusing to give way to those who claim certainty, meaning her parents, was a privilege I'd never allowed myself. My life was narrated for me by others, and their voices were forceful, emphatic, absolute. It had never occurred to me that my voice might be as strong as theirs. Tara actually became a distinguished scholar, although when she began college, she didn't even know what the Holocaust was. She didn't know about major world events because her parents had only let her read one Encyclopedia Britannica, which she read over and over. You can heal from emotional neglect. You don't have to remain that 8, 9, 10, 12-year-old child who got the message that you weren't important because you are very important. You can find the strength of your own voice. Our listener email today is from, he terms himself, an interested observer. If you could give someone three suggestions for things they could do when depression is at its worst, what would they be? As for the situation, assume it's bad. I've managed to hide it for a long time, but never understood the kind of toll it would take over the years. Like anything else, there's been a cost. I'm working on making some major changes, but the biggest hurdle has been trying to address the most basic things, self-care, food, normal sleep. These things have completely disrupted my life, though I've managed to keep a job, even pulled performance ratings in the top 10% for the last few years, somehow. Nearly the whole time, I felt like I was hanging on by my fingernails. The thing is, I don't ever leave the house. I wouldn't want anyone to really see me right now anyway. Looking in the mirror tells me everything I need to know. It's a sad state of affairs, akin to watching the leaves fall from an otherwise healthy tree. I keep hoping for flowers in the springtime, but sometimes wonder if I've been planted in the wrong climate zone. The late frost always seems to get me. Forgive the colorful writing. I've been thinking about making a checklist, sad as that seems, mostly because I'm not sure what else to do. I've seen a psychologist who was very clinical, which I guess makes sense given the educational requirements. Not every psychologist is clinical. The problem is having someone tell you that you have PTSD and recurrent major depression doesn't really solve anything. They're just scary acronyms that you look at wondering how to start getting better. There are so many doctors out there, but scarce practical advice. And he gives me a compliment. You're a bit of a rarity. I sense a personal understanding of certain things in your writing, and your particular flavor of candor is unique. So basically, this man had gone to a psychologist, received a diagnosis, maybe two diagnoses, but he wasn't given a plan or an agenda or a guide to help him get better. Now, maybe he just didn't go back. He was unclear about that. But in a first session, just to let you know, I always look at someone and say, well, our goals, I think, should be to get you back to taking vacations or to get you more involved with your kids or to be able to work on what I sense is trauma from your past. But I set out certain goals that 
things we're going to work on in order to move forward. And then I also say, you know, I'm going to refer you to this physician to consider medication, or if they don't want medication, I'll say something like, well, we'll go four to six sessions and see how you do, but if you're not getting any better, then you need to discuss medication. But I give them a plan, okay? So if you're not going to a therapist or even a medical doctor who doesn't give you an idea of what he or she thinks, then that's too unclear, in my book at least. So here's my answer to him. There's obviously something terribly wrong. Just because you're a star at work doesn't mean that you're not struggling. Just that you know how to perhaps even rigidly compartmentalize things so well that you function well publicly, but not privately. You mentioned that a clinician diagnosed you with PTSD and major depression. It's certainly possible that you've never worked through whatever trauma caused that PTSD and that the burden of carrying whatever emotions you have about it have finally caught up with you. Hence, not wanting to go outside, not wanting to leave your home, feeling as if you need to hide. I'd suggest finding someone who specializes in EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. It's a specific technique for healing trauma, and when done well, it's highly effective. And that's backed up with good research. There's actually a certification for it, which I look for in a therapist. But please, seek help and treatment. There's something called agoraphobia, which if you spend too much time in your home and actually begin to fear or dread going out of it, you risk creating that in yourself. Medicine, if you're on it, won't do the trick. Not with trauma, certainly. Good for you that you're working on major changes, but if good self-care isn't there then you're trying to build something without an adequate foundation. You may need help with learning how to set up a sleep hygiene routine where you don't do anything in your bed, for example, except for sleep. You don't look at your computer or social media before you go to sleep. You do things to help yourself calm down. But if your self-care isn't good, that probably comes from old messages that you received as a child that you weren't worthy of good self-care. And then I do mention my work on perfectly hidden depression. He might be a prime candidate. I don't know. And then I encourage him to reach out. So many of us don't know what to do. And I like to think of a therapist as simply a consultant. They're used to traveling around and talking about things of emotional pain, all kinds of difficult issues. And they've probably seen a few people just like you. So therapy can be very helpful. It's not the answer for everything, but it can be extremely helpful in finding a direction in which to go. Today's podcast has been a little more serious. Certainly emotional neglect or abuse or any topic like that is hard to discuss. And if you have been triggered in any way, please take care of yourself. But I thank you for listening. There are lots of ways of getting in touch with me. My website's drmargaretrutherford.com, and I welcome you over there for a subscription where you get my weekly blog post and my podcast. Email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. That is confidential. Only my eyes see it, and I'll answer you. And if you don't want your story mentioned on air, then just tell me that, and I won't do it. I am beginning to get more and more emails, so it may take me a little long, but I don't want that to deter you. I finished my book last week, so I've got more time now, and I'm going to catch up on emails. 
I'm doing kind of a fun thing on Instagram. I said about 51 days ago now <laughs> that I was going to make a list of what I've learned as a therapist, and I was going to do one every day for 100 days. I mentioned to somebody in a comment <laughs> this morning that I kind of feel like at Instagram post number 51 that I no longer can go back, but I also can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So it's interesting because I'm taking pictures just all around my house or my office, just random stuff, and then allowing that to give me an idea about what I want to write about. It's kind of fun. So you can join me at Instagram. The account is simply Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And then finally, I do have a closed Facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're up to about 615 or 20 members, and I'd love for you to be in that group. Since it's closed, only the people who are in it can see comments, so it feels a little safer than just being out on Facebook itself. And thank you so much to those of you who've sent ratings and reviews, especially on iTunes, since so many people listen there. I truly am grateful for that, because that's the way other people are going to know that there's thousands of you now who listen to self-work. I could not be more grateful to be a part of your life. So take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.